chapter 10, submission to Christ must define and shape our commitment to Christ. Surrender is the key. As I mentioned earlier, a Romanian pastor was asked why the Western church had lost its influence and power with God and man, to which he replied, we have substituted surrender for commitment. It doesn't matter how committed you are to Christ, if you and I do not go through this process of allowing the word of the cross to define us, which is a word of submission and surrender to God and his ways of operating, sanctification, then we will never come into the authentic position of knowing him for who he in fact is. We will also never come into the true alignment of our roles and how they are to play out in his purposes and plans. It is through the sanctification process that our roles and the functioning aspect of these roles are revealed to us. Because of this, we must surrender to the sanctification process in our lives. The sanctification process is the transformation, the renewing of God's people in heart and mind through the power of the sword of the Spirit, His Word, which we receive in us. We are then empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to live these roles out from a position of His Word being revealed and formed in us, which is activated by faith in Christ. Matthew 7, 21-23 is a fascinating passage of Scripture, an example of a group of people who were committed to Christ but not surrendered to Him. And because of this, lawlessness find themselves hearing these words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. I'm not sure any of us wants to hear these words, especially when they've been committed to work such as prophesying, miracles, spiritual warfare, all in His name. God has this in here to share with us the importance of living a submitted and surrendered life to Christ. So we not only come to know him for who he in fact is, but everything we do in his name, we do it his way because we have come to know him. Let's have a look at this passage and unpack what Jesus is saying here. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. For then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Entering or not entering the kingdom of heaven. What becomes very clear in this passage, and this should alarm us no end, is that you can say Jesus is Lord of your life, And you can actually prophesy, cast out demons, and perform miracles, all done in his name, and still not enter the kingdom of heaven, because you have not done the will of the Father. Matthew 7, 24-27 now becomes a very interesting passage of Scripture in the light of Matthew 7, 21-23. Matthew 7, 24-27 Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine, what words is Jesus referring to? 
the words he has just spoken of in verses 21 to 23. The person who hears these words and acts upon them is the wise person who built their house on the rock, Christ. People who hear these words and don't act upon them are the foolish ones who built on sand. The people in verses 21 to 23 are the foolish ones who built on sand, even though they did all these things. What makes this more confusing is that Jesus even told his disciples to go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Matthew 10, 1, 7 to 8. So here's the $10 million question. How is it possible that we can do all these things in his name and still not enter the kingdom of heaven? Because we have not entered into the will of the Father. We have not entered into sanctification. It says only those who do the will of the Father enter the kingdom of heaven. I am hoping that we caught this in the previous chapter. It is fully possible to call him Lord, Lord, to operate in the gift that God has given you by faith, using his name where the authority is found to perform these works and still do it your way because, yes, you are committed to Christ. You're just not surrendered to Christ. We have failed to enter into the sanctificational process which destroys our will, wants, ways and desires and births and brings to light his ways. Only those who enter into sanctification, God's will, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. These followers are no longer doing things their own way, which is lawlessness, sin, but are allowing God to do everything the way he intends. The Bible says if we are not doing things by faith, then it is a sin. There is a massive consequence for us when we operate from this fleshly self-operating system, like not entering the kingdom of heaven, and yet we never realize this is our fate because we are seeing and experiencing these things happening in our lives. Because we are seeing these things happening in our lives, we automatically think and believe we must be doing it his way. But this is where the deception or the hoodwink lies. We are not to assume anything. The deception or the hoodwink is the fact that you find yourself being used and you get to see and experience this work being accomplished in front of you, never realizing that you are still God of your own life, sitting on the throne that is designed for him to sit on because you have not surrendered this position over to him. In Philippians 1, 15 to 18, we see some people preaching Christ from a position of envy and strife rather than goodwill motivated by love. We can assume because Paul says that he rejoices that Jesus is proclaimed, whether in pretense or in truth, that there is no consequences for these people who proclaim Christ from selfish ambition. Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. If we have assumed this, then I think we need to rethink things. Balaam could have assumed because God let him go with the king's officials that this was God's way. The Israelites could have thought that because God said they could have a king after he told them that he didn't want them to have a king, that this was God's way. 
To make these assumptions can be catastrophic in our relationship with Christ. To think that just because we see these works operating in and through our lives that we are doing his will could also result in us hearing, away from me, you of lawlessness. The key to doing the will of the Father, our sanctification, is in the true knowing of the Father. Hence the first chapter in this book. If we underestimate and undervalue the true knowing of God for who he actually in fact is, we may find ourselves in this very position and not know it. Our true knowledge of God for who he is, in fact, is and living from a position of faith in Christ will keep us firmly on the narrow path to life. In other words, our personal relationship with Christ is the key. What we end up doing and what is being done in the body of Christ today is we make things like healings, miracles, gifts, prophecy, and reaching the lost as separate entities to Christ. They are all becoming end goals in and amongst themselves as opposed to activities that are just part of the life of a follower of Christ. I see so many people want to specialize in these specific things and make them their core focus. You go to conferences and workshops on how to do this and how to do that, never realizing that if we truly have an ongoing revealed knowledge of Christ, then these things just become a natural part of our lives as his followers. They are all just a natural expression of a life in Christ and go hand in hand with being persecuted for Christ by all those who live by their flesh. Yes, signs and wonders follow disciples, but so do persecutions. As soon as we take our eyes off Christ and start making it about our gifts, works or miracles, etc., we are entering into a dangerous territory without ever knowing it. And very subtly, these things become our focus and priority rather than Christ himself. Remember what the Ephesians heard? They left their first love. Please hear me again. I am all for the church operating in our gifts and seeing God's power work in and through us, not only bringing wholeness to our own lives, but to those around us. This isn't to be our focus, though. Our focus is to be him, and as we follow him, these things will naturally follow us, and we will not find ourselves like so many are today, focusing and being entangled in these things and completely missing the greater reality for God's people. If we are not fully surrendered to God, then we will find ourselves focusing on these works more than God. We will never, of course, admit this, but our lives will be the demonstration of our true reality. Many followers of Christ find their focus is still on all these works because these works appeal to our flesh. Our flesh is titivated by these works. These works give us a sense of meaning, accomplishment, purpose, and satisfaction that we have done something great for Jesus. I mean, how amazing is it to see bones healed, the dead raised, the deaf hear, and the blind see? To see people set free from addictions and fears is awesome. Once again, please hear me. I'm all for this happening, and I love it when people are set free from afflictions and bondage by the power of Jesus. But once again, this isn't to be where our focus is. These are outcomes of knowing Jesus, and our focus is to be towards the greater upward calling of Jesus. As we surrender more and more to Christ in our understanding of what his purposes are for us, he will start to reveal in us a much greater picture of why we were created and chosen. The driver behind this committed but unsurrendered behavior pattern in us. The driver behind this committed 
But unsurrendered behavior pattern in us is firstly our insatiable need to do and accomplish things. Secondly, it is our insatiable need for knowledge. Both of these needs have been placed in us by God and before the fall, we're operating in perfect alignment to God. Then came the fall of man, which was led to our fallen state, and we no longer are able to function the way God intends. Our fallen state called the flesh determines how these needs will be satisfied and met rather than God. We need to surrender this fleshly operating system to God and come into his operating system of the spirit. This will result in the works we do flowing in alignment with God and the ongoing knowledge we acquire of God will be a true reflection of who he in fact is, not our version of him. Here are some of the damaging effects to us of not having our insatiable need to do surrender to Christ. We value the doing of works much more than our ongoing relationship with Christ, which is the key to our transformation. Our focus and priority is the Great Commission instead of the Great Commandment, which leads to the commission defining our lives rather than the commandment. We can never just enjoy God for who God is, and we struggle to be still and know He is God. As leaders of God's people, we become drivers of God's people rather than guiding and nurturing them on the journey. Because we are operating from function, we see God's people as assets, resources, and commodities rather than people. We are unable to see things from God's perspective, so we constantly define His truth through our own doing lens. Our identity and purpose gets defined by what we do and not who we are in Christ. We are in a constant state of busyness, anxiety, and worry, unable to just rest in Him. We do things from our own initiative, which holds no eternal value and are ultimately pointless. This position ultimately leads people to frustration, disillusionment, and burnout. Here are some of the damaging effects to us of not having our insatiable need for knowledge surrender to Christ. We build our own image of God, thinking we are building on Him, but only having a counterfeit version of Him. The false knowledge of God we acquire puffs us up and causes pride and arrogance in our hearts and minds. We become hard-hearted and unteachable because we think we know it all. We become self-righteous and judgmental. Things we don't understand, we either attack, rationalize away, or sweep under the carpet. We are led by our carnal minds rather than the Spirit of God. We lead others into our position of false knowledge. We will not come into this abundant life within us, which means we are unable to be the demonstration of his life on the earth. It is our surrender to Christ that will define what we experience in Christ rather than our commitment. Our commitment to Christ, which is to be wholehearted, must be defined by our wholehearted surrender to Christ. As we surrender and enter into the sanctification process of having our hearts and minds completely renewed to God's ways, then And only then will we experience the fullness of his life for us.